during the early years of the 20th century, God sent a mighty spiritual awakening here to Wales. Probably the greatest religious revival witnessed during the 20th century. In a matter of months, thousands, friends, literally thousands were miraculously converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches were packed with standing room only and the moral character of village after village was transformed. News of these strange and inexplicable happenings spread throughout the world. And many people travel to this little obscure country of ours to observe the work of God. One night, in one of the churches, Evan Roberts, the, I guess, unofficial leader of the revival, called for testimonies from the congregation. A man stood and identified himself as an evangelist from another country. And he said, I quote, I have come to Wales to glean the secret of the Welsh revival. I have come to Wales to glean the secret of the Welsh revival. Instantly, Evan Roberts thrust his finger towards the visitor and shouted, There is no secret. Ask, and you shall receive. I wonder if the evangelist was disappointed with the answer. What do you think? I guess he was. After all, prayer is no secret. Prayer certainly is nothing new. I pray every day, and many of you do, I'm sure. Most churches hold prayer meetings at least once a week. But nothing like the Welsh 1904-05 revival ever happens. There must be something else, therefore. A program, a formula, a unique twisting of the ordinary. There must be a secret, mustn't there? I doubt if any of us would have expected Evan Roberts' statement as the real explanation of the 0405 revival. Oh yes, of course, we would agree, we would give assent that revival is essential, that prayer is essential, but also we would be quick, quick to add, but besides prayer, what else did you do? <laughs> Yet Evan Roberts was right. You see, there is no secret. It is, it remains, ask, and you shall receive. It is just that this is not what we have done. 
we formulate our own recipe for revival. And after we mix together all our man-made ingredients, we add a dash of prayer for flavor. But, but prayer, real prayer, the kind of prayer that opens heaven's floodgates, the wrestling of which the Apostle Paul speaks in Romans chapter 15, verse 30. We know little or nothing of this kind of praying. What could we expect here in the United Kingdom? What could we expect to happen if the church returned to its kneeling posture and recovered its prayer power? Well, let's focus our attentions this evening upon a praying church. It just happened to be the church in the first century A.D., And we have an account of that church in Acts chapter 4. And we read there in Acts chapter 4 verse 31. That as the church prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. I I will take my watch off to lull you into a false sense of security. Because it's still one minute to twelve, Alan. So you could still be going, brother, if you're going till twelve. It's ten to now. Nine minutes to seven. I'm aiming for five past. What could we expect if the church here in the United Kingdom recovered its prayer power. Well, notice here in Acts chapter 4, here was a a church that prayed. And we notice here, firstly, the presence of God perceived. Secondly, the power of God received. And thirdly, the purpose of God achieved. That's simple, isn't it? So firstly, the presence of God perceived. After they prayed, the place was shaken. This expression, I believe, symbolizes God's active presence. A similar phrase occurs in Acts chapter 16, verse 26. In Philippi, Paul and Silas had been beaten, remember, and thrown into prison with their feet fastened into stocks. The story goes that at midnight these two missionaries began to pray and sing hymns. And we read, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. This was the manifestation of God's presence, declaring that he was there and that he was active. Is not God always present? 
when two or three gather in his name? Well, of course, yes, he is. But I put it to you that sometimes we are not aware of his presence. At Bethel, after seeing the manifestation of God in the angels ascending and descending on a ladder that was stretching from earth to heaven, Jacob said in Genesis 28 verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I have become convinced, brethren, that this could be the theme song of many a Sunday morning or Sunday evening worship service. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. Brethren, we do always have the presence of God, bless His holy name, Because our God is always true to his word. And he's made a promise to us. Where two or three gather in his name. Then there I am. But I put it to you that what we perhaps don't have. Is the awareness of his presence. Vance Hardner says, when we preachers look out upon our small remnant and quote, where two or three are gathered in together in my name, there I am in the midst. We are usually more conscious of the absence of the people than the presence of the Lord. Ouch. I'll be honest with you. That's me. I look upon my remnant from Sunday to Sunday. And I quote the scripture I know so well. But to my shame. I am more conscious of the absence of the people. Than the presence of God. Too often God's presence is not real to us. We sometimes speak to him as though he were absent. We sometimes pray in the third person as if we're praying to each other rather than to to God. But when the church abandons itself to prayer, then the presence of God is perceived. Suddenly, we know He is there. He is here, working, moving, answering. That is enough. It is enough to know that He is on the scene. This perceived presence, an atmosphere, if you like, that is charged with the obvious presence of an almighty God, 
is something that when God comes in revival is commonplace. I say that not necessarily because I've experienced it, but because I've read about it. (laughs) During the Welsh Revival, it was reported that strangers entering villages unaware of the spiritual awakening, would suddenly fall under deep spiritual conviction. And so much so, they would seek out a minister of the gospel to pray for them. Inexplicable. But they became aware of the perceived presence of God. Fishermen drawing near to shore, again unaware of the revival, would suddenly come under terrible spiritual conviction of sin. And before their feet had touched land, everyone on that particular boat would be converted to to the Lord Jesus Christ. The perceived presence of God. It was said of Charles Finney, That during times of revival, he could walk down a street. And passers-by, when they fell under his shadow, would literally be thrown to their knees under the weight of spiritual conviction. The perceived presence of God. When was the last time we knew God's presence like that? In Wales. Well it was probably more than a hundred years ago. But we read here in Acts 4. That when God's people prayed. God's presence was perceived. (laughs) The building where they prayed sure. I've been in some churches that have shaken, (laughs) not so much by the presence of God, sadly, but by loud music and blaring amplifiers. Shaking buildings, my friends, is not our business, nor is it our task to produce signs of God's presence. It seems to me that when the Lord shakes the building, we don't have to announce it. And in extraordinary times, God comes in extraordinary ways. But bless God, he's also in the ordinary. And so as we gather together this evening, he is here, for he's true to his word. My prayer is that you and I together, we might perceive his presence. Secondly, notice that the the power of God was received when they prayed. After they prayed, God's presence was perceived because the place was shaken and God's power was received. They all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the record states that they were all filled. Not the apostles only, not the the super saints only, not those who had the greatest faith only. Every member of the church, it seems, 
experienced the Spirit's filling. Now, of course, there had been such a filling on the day of Pentecost. But the church, my friends, cannot run on the fumes of a previous fill-up. Every new task demands a fresh fullness. Every new day demands a fresh infilling. Wouldn't you agree? And yet, sadly, many Christians have become content, maybe just used to the reality of of living the Christian life on empty. (laughs) That's not God's purpose. His purpose is to fill us. With that good measure, pressed down, shaken together, poured into our laps. How, you say, by the Holy Spirit. There is something remarkable about this instant here in Acts chapter 4. As a result of their praying, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you examine the prayer carefully, the Holy Spirit actually wasn't mentioned. To be filled with the Spirit, it seems, was not a part of the petition. They didn't pray to be filled with the Spirit, but when they prayed, they were filled with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Two things, very quickly, I have eight minutes left. Two things are significant for our attention here. Firstly, they were not seeking an experience. There was nothing selfish, nothing subjective about the petition. They were not after the thrill of the fill, so to speak. I've witnessed a strange transition In my 22 years of ministry. It used to be that Christians wanted the fullness of the Spirit of God for power. Power to serve Christ. Power to live for Christ. But now it seems to me that they want the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not for power in serving, but for pleasure in living. Fill me, God, is the prayer selfishly. Because I want. I want to feel good. (laughs) I need to feel happy. I want to feel fulfilled. Uh, Do you know what I'm saying? And the prayer has become more about, about, about us than about Him. These dear ones were not consumed with their own needs. Fill us, Lord. They were consumed with the glory of God. And because they were so consumed with the glory of God, what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid many of us are more interested in the feeling of the Spirit than the filling of the Spirit. But secondly, these verses show that there is more to being filled with the Spirit than merely asking for it. It's interesting, actually, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament, we don't really have an account of someone who is actually asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The nearest, I suppose, is Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Uh, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? Give the Holy Spirit rather than to those who ask. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe it's wrong for us to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can, of course. But what I'm suggesting is that asking to be filled is not necessarily a prerequisite to filling. Examine the prayer. Again, what were these Christians here in Acts chapter 4 concerned about? Well, their prayer, initially Acts 4.24, recognized God as sovereign. They raised their voices together to God. What was their prayer? Sovereign Lord. Sovereign, look, they were, they recognized the sovereignty of God. And then, secondly, they recognized themselves as God's servants. Verse 29, what did they pray? Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word. Do you notice a little formula there? Fascinating, isn't it? They came in prayer, not consumed with their needs, but consumed, preoccupied with the sovereignty of God and the servanthood to that God. And thus, I believe it's safe to say, to suggest that any Christian who acknowledges and submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because then it's not about us, not about me, it's about Him. We sing it, don't we, in that lovely contemporary chorus. It's, it's, it's not about us, Lord. It's all about you. As if you should do things my way. Well, and that's the reality here. They were consumed with the sovereignty of God and submission to that sovereignty as God's servants. And they were so filled with the Holy Spirit the power of God was received. And consequently, therefore, what happened when God's power was received, when the Holy Spirit came? Well, thirdly, I have two minutes, 30 seconds. The purpose of God was achieved. The purpose of God was achieved. In verse 33, we, we read two noteworthy phrases, do we not? Because they received great power and they received great grace. What does the church need in 21st century Wales? More material resources? Nah. Greater ecclesiastical buildings? Not at all. A better hierarchical governmental structure, perhaps? No. Maybe a, a purer doctrinal theology that we might dot the I and cross the T of our, of our biblical theology. Not at all. What does the church need more than anything else in 21st century Wales? Great power and great grace. And that, friends, will only come when God comes by His Holy Spirit.
and fills his people. It will only come when his people will have their eyes opened to the reality that actually in point of fact, it matters not whether we're two or three or two hundred or three hundred gathered here tonight. What matters is that God is true to his word and we begin to perceive his presence. But we come And we go, and we've perceived little or nothing, our eyes closed to the reality that God is true to his word. The Christian church in 21st century Wales needs what the first century church here in the Acts of the Apostles received. Great power and great grace. And when they receive this power, the power of God, when they receive this grace, the grace of God, notice verse 31, they spoke the word of God boldly. (laughs) That wasn't in isolation. That wasn't because they went to Bible college. That was because God came. And when they spoke the, the word of God more boldly, verse, verse 33, grace, much grace came upon them and their, and their lives were enriched. Friends, we well, we well, we well, we are very much the, the, the materially richer cousins of Romania. But spiritually, Let's be honest. We are the poorer cousins. And there, in Eastern Europe, a country that was enslaved under communism for years, when we enjoyed freedom, there, they're enjoying a, a level of spiritual revival. And we are wallowing in spiritual poverty. How sad. We who knew the sound of revival here in this land just a century or so ago are now spiritually barren. We need the power and the grace of God. We might know that power if we recaptured the secret of praying. Praying how? Praying, acknowledging his sovereignty. Praying, submitting and surrendering to that sovereignty. Yielding ourselves to him. And the power of God will fall. For our God is true to his word. In the meantime, we come and we go. We come and we go, we come and we go, and we still fail to perceive the promised presence of God. God have mercy upon his church here in Wales in these needy times.